I might need to refresh my my gin and tonic. Oh, you're drinking gin and tonic? That makes me so sad. The double feature everyone we're back again i'm your host josh and i've got a, a pretty good guest on to extra special guest uh on today uh executive producer caitlin is on the show introduce yourself caitlin oh hello internet so nice to be here happy to be here let's see i went to cornerstone so that's how josh and i know each other ish indirectly I, but, yeah. indirectly i studied film there so i love movies and film and all that jazz right a lot of a lot of representatives from the uh from cornerstone university on the show so far i was also in the film department but it was a few i think i'd i'd uh gone turncoat before you showed up so right so back to the task at hand you brought us two movies this week two very good movies i might add and movies that are very interesting to watch uh, together, Francis Ha by by Noah Baumbach, which that came out. I want to say 2012. I think it was 11. 2000. Oh no, you're right. 2012. It was 2012. I'm mm-hmm. awesome. Okay, and Black Swan, <laughs> uh, by Darren Aronofsky, that came out in 2010. Both of them involved dancing. So the main question here, Caitlin, um, what's the thought process behind uh, picking these two movies? Basically, Francis Ha is one of my favorite movies of all time. I decided as soon as I listened to this podcast that if I was ever to do it, I, it would have to be Francis Ha. And then it was just a matter of what to pair it with. So I was thinking like a New York thing. So maybe like another movie from a different era that was still New York uh, because Francis Ha takes place in New York. And then when I talked to you about it, you definitely said like, yeah, I think something New York would be cool. So I was kind of cross-referencing movies in New York and movies with strong female leads because I want to do I wanted to do two movies with a lady at the lead so I came across Black Swan and I love Black Swan that movie was came into my life at a time when it wasn't cool to like that movie (laughs) because I was at a Christian university and there's some lesbian action in that movie so it's a big (laughs) no-no So I've never really gotten to discuss Black Swan on like any kind of level because it was a huge no-no when it came out. So I was like, okay, these movies not only both take place in New York, they both have lady leads and then they're both about dancers. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Also 20-something dancers. So they both had a lot in common and I love Natalie Portman and I love Greta Gerwig. Yeah, you're really solved it, solving the uh, the lady problem on the double feature, so. <laughs> <laughs> Except that both the directors are white men, so yeah. we have a place to go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I realized that I was like, shit. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, you can, you gotta take fine. what you can get, I guess. But, yeah, uh... next time we'll do, we'll have to do another one with lady directors next time. I'd, I'd be down But it's that. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So both with both with dancing and yeah, they're good. Um, very different dancing, but dancing. Right. And very different, you know, approaches to it where, you know, Black Swan, it's the point of the movie. And then 
Frances Ha. It's just like something she wants to do. But if you think about it, like <laughs> to pre- pursuing a career as a professional dancer is absurd. So I kind of think it's funny that in Frances Ha, it's a side detail, but it literally does dictate her whole life because how could it not if you wanted to do that professionally? So it's not necessarily what the movie's about, but like the fact that she's 27 years old and isn't like living a cush life is because she's pursuing professional dancing. So it is very much like still a core part of the story, I think. It's just not in your face as much as it is in Black Swan. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Black Swan sort of covers the dance itself. They're both exploring like people who have dedicated themselves to dancing and like you get sort of the the high level absolutely elite um you know drive yourself crazy version of that and then you know mm-hmm. the, the aspiring um i don't know is is greta gerwig in the yeah she's in the millennial fold she's one of us uh mm-hmm. yeah um to where you know all the there's all these external concerns where black swan it's very there are no external concerns and that's sort of very intentional like yeah Nina is brought up to be this elite dancer and and she's raised by a dancer too right and has all these resources thrown at her where you know our our favorite Frances Holiday is <laughs> she's got you know she's got rent to pay um <laughs> right <laughs> I love what she says I have to save money so I can pay rent yeah. <laughs> I love what she Oh man, I think my absolute favorite part of the movie is when she she opens the tax refund check and just like ah, <laughs> like, I don't know, like that just killed me. <laughs> yeah, and the music is like so happy at that part. Right. Like, oh, yeah, like let's embrace that the tax refund is like a big deal. <laughs> like, yeah, that's and then awesome. Even how it just like you know it's not a done deal like a, a lesser movie like she'd go out with with Lev Shapiro you know America's favorite boy. Uh, adam driver um like right after that you know and it would just be fine but no there's more details to it oh she deposited the check but her debit card doesn't work or like (laughs) her credit card's not working the restaurant doesn't accept debit and there's no fucking atm within like three blocks first of all i have never been to a a restaurant where they were like only credit cards are cash i don't know if that's like a big city thing or whatever but i was like what (laughs) yeah i've i've run into that um it might have been, I think, it mostly places in Toronto. Okay. Actually, no, not Toronto. But, no, I... about debit stuff. But, yeah, I've definitely run into and, it in, like, huge cities. Like, on top of all that, she, like, goes to get her money out of the ATM. And, like, I think one of the most, like, millennial moments, like, relatable moments is when she hesitates. Right. Like, accepting the... the $3 fee. Yep. Like, <laughs> that is so good. If you look up, like, gifts of Frances Ha, like, that's one of the big ones, is her, like, reaching for that button and, like, not knowing which one to push because so many people are, welcome to my life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, oh, man. And that's what's so funny about Frances Ha is that, like, I think it's one of Bombach's, like, more painful depictions of reality. Like, just, you know, all the weird little inconveniences. I mean, I guess it's not as inherently tragic as, like, the squid and the whale or Greenberg or something like that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it really does capture the feeling of being a 20-something in the 2010s um, and just not having a lot of money. Yeah. And But, but the thing is, it's, like, the most uh, sort of hopeful or happy 
ending yeah. of for a Bombok film. Like the rest of them are just like drenched in doubt and uncertainty and pain and loss. And wait, I want to read you something I found because I knew you were gonna like it. Because I okay, so I have I hadn't watched any other Bombok films. Okay, like, yeah. Until this, and you were like, "Oh, I really like his earlier stuff," and I was like, "I have no idea what that is." Right. And I read this today, and I was like, "Oh, Josh is gonna like this." One second. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, where is it? <laughs> dead air singing the dead air song. <laughs> oh, okay, here it is. Francis Ha is generous. Some critics may say indulgent in its own handle of hip floating character. Oh no, this isn't right. Oh no. Uh, oh, okay, here we go. Okay. Uh, a black and white comedy about young people in New York. It is filled with such a sweetly unfamiliar spirit of joy, or at least the prospect that life may hold satisfactions beyond survival, that Bombach purists may dismiss the film as evidence <laughs> of a kind of midlife giddiness that can lead to kite surfing. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's from a. That's from the New Yorker. Oh, of course. A review of Francis Ha, but I just thought that was funny because I love this movie because of its optimism, and so yeah. it's funny that it's like his other movies don't really have. Right. I mean, and that's that. A, yeah, definitely. Like. Right. I mean, I think Greenberg has the most sort of unalloyed happy ending of any of his stuff previous to this, which also has uh, Greta Gerwig in it. By the yeah, way. I've seen that one. I love that. I that's like my favorite Ben Stiller ever. Honestly, it's really good. I, I'm not a huge Ben Stiller person, but he is phenomenal in that movie. Yeah. Otherwise, as far as like, uh, right, optimism and Bombach. I mean, there is this kind of at a certain level of like prestige filmmaking. I think there's this expectation that tragic inherently means com or inherently means quality, and yeah. I definitely used to think that. I mean, if you would have talked to me in college, um, like, oh, optimism is bad. You know, like, real life is pain. We need to just, like, explore right. it that way. And it's like, right, I'm not much older, but I'm a little older. I've got some experiences logged away. And it's like, there's some really fucked up shit in life that, that brings you down. But there's also a lot of, like, totally rad shit that gets you hyped. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, yeah, Francis Hogg, like, you know really gets that there's no really yeah. there's no highs or lows in it um it's kind of like it starts off on an even keel you know ticks up a little bit dips a little bit but there's none of these like no ecstatic moments or no moments of just utter despair right there's and always this yeah. when you're when you're watching it it's like you kind of feel like nothing's happening <laughs> for like yeah. the whole movie and then when it's over you just feel like wow okay when you said that um, beginners was self for your soul when you said oh, that what? I was like that's how I feel about Francis Ha like every time I watch it I'm like oh I'm gonna be okay like yeah. <laughs> and I don't even know how I came to that conclusion because nothing happened in this movie but I feel that way I'll be okay <laughs> yeah and that's I totally got that because like uh, I mean as I was telling you off air um, you know I've got a big move coming up in a week and I mean, I'll have moved by the time this airs, definitely, but feeling some anxiety, like got a lot of ducks to get in a row and threw this movie on, had a few chuckles and I'm like, all right, I mean, I can do this. Francis yeah, got through yeah. it. I can do this. Francis <laughs> can do it. I can do it. Of course. And Francis is like way more naive and doing something crazier than I am. So yeah. it's <laughs> going to be fine. I love one of my favorite things about this character is that she's like half lying 
through the whole movie. Oh, yeah. Like, I read a review one time of this movie that said, and I tried to find it, but I could not find it for the life of me. But it said, like, the reason that this character is so lovable is because Greta Gerwig is never asking you to like Francis. Like right. She's never asking you to like Francis, and she's never telling you to feel a certain way about her. And I love that because Francis is, she's like not totally shitty, but she's also like not like a super reliable person. <laughs> like, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> she's, she's constantly lying. Like she's on the phone with Sophie and she's like, oh, this phone call is costing me a fortune. And she's like, why? And she's like, just kidding, it's not. And she's right. like in fucking Paris. Yep. <laughs> and she's like talking to the uh, the director of the dance company and is like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm like really close to getting another job. Like, no, you're not. Like, nope. <laughs> it, you can tell she doesn't tell her parents at all that she has no place to live. Like blind optimism through the whole movie. She just like... I don't know. Yeah, it's like, just so endearing to me. And it's something like if I knew somebody like that, like I'd probably be annoyed. But at the same time, it's the most endearing thing. I was actually I was thinking about that, too, because Greta Gerwig is just incredibly charming. Like I wouldn't mm -hmm. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's like charismatic. I mean, she's not like no. commanding on screen, but she's really charming. She's really compelling to watch. And yeah. Right. She just sort of like like skates uh, skates. Absolutely. Like I, you know, I watch this movie and I'm like, I want to be best friends with Francis Ha. And then I think about it for a second. And I'm like, no, I wouldn't. Real life, I, I would hate this person. Like, <laughs> I want to watch your life, but I never want to meet you. Right. Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to wind like, up at like a ton of bars by myself, you know, constantly. And she also of... would never clean your apartment. She would never nope. clean anything. Like, she wouldn't pay her rent. She wouldn't clean anything. But, like, she's an inspiration. Why? Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> okay, I have, a, I have a New York Times thing. It's just about Greta Gerwig. It says she's the ambassador of a cinematic style that often seems opposed to the very idea of style. And I just love that. I yeah. feel like she... I don't know. I yeah. watched Mistress America today, so I'm, like, on a Greta Gerwig thing. I had a suspicion, but now I just confirmed it. Greta Gerwig's like dating Noah Baumbach right now. Oh yeah, they're like yeah. boyfriend girlfriend. Yeah, they're Super together. cute. Yeah. Since Green. Since Greenberg, yeah, yeah. He and he used to be married to Jennifer Jason Lee. They got divorced in 2010, and he started dating. He started dating. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna gossip. He started okay. dating. <laughs> he started dating Greta Gerwig in 2011, and his divorce wasn't final until um, 2013. Oh wow. I don't know why his divorce is so long. I don't think he has kids, but right. I don't know how that business works. Hopefully, I never do. Yeah, but it's got to have some influence on the art because he was, you know, making these like hor horrifically depressing movies. But then Greenberg yeah, ends I, on this good note. Then he starts dating Greta. Super optimistic movies. Like I think that's why the um, the reporter from the New Yorker was like, "Yeah, Bombuck purists are like he's gonna go." kite flying or whatever yep. like <laughs> they're afraid that he's too happy this is what he's become yeah i don't but yeah it's not like treacly or sweet it's just like lower stakes and life is like that <laughs> for the mm -hmm. most part um but it's like yeah i mean so francis ha does life in a low-key way that's still somehow really entertaining to watch um absolutely actually the way it's sort of paced like everything's these little snippets right you have these scenes that don't really last more than like two or three minutes and mm -hmm. then 
what I found interesting is that when she goes to that like adult dinner party with like all the lawyers and stuff and the guy who works at Goldman Sachs and the people who own the apartment in Paris, that's like a five to like five to ten minute scene. It's longer than any other scene in the movie. I think they're getting at something there because the rest of it's sort of uh Francis in her kind of you know arrested development state of like you know her restless I'm trying to be a dancer but I'm also trying to pay rent I've got all these hustles going but it's just these little moments of you know she goes out to a bar or like goes to watch a movie or just you know, just all these little snippets but then it's like where she actually has to sort of justify her existence to other people who've mm-hmm. already like established themselves it's this long torturous awkward <laughs> like thing and yeah I just thought that was super interesting that scene is so fun Like, there's so many amazing lines in that scene, especially from Rachel, like, the other dancer. Oh, yeah. When she's like, I sound like a gay grandmother. Like, (laughs) first of all, I have no idea what's going on with Rachel for, like, most of the movie. Because they show, like, weird snippets of conversations with Rachel. Well, like, that don't make sense at all. Like, when Rachel and um, Francis are talking at rehearsal, and she's like... And he told me that I'm cold and mean. And I was like, wow, that fucking hurt my feelings. And I'm like, it's like all you see. Right. Like, <laughs> and then it like goes into her song. I'm like, first of all, that's Meryl Streep's daughter. And then I, yeah. did you know that? No, I didn't. She looks just like her. Anyway, you only see like weird snippets of Rachel. And I think she's supposed to be like this person that's like, kind of successful but also feels awkward in her own skin and like is kind of jealous of Francis because Francis kind of seems to know who she is a little bit more than Rachel but Rachel's also like you're a train wreck get away from me so they have like a weird <laughs> relationship and the, the scene when because <laughs> the relationship between Francis and Sophie is so important and it's like yeah. the heartbeat of the whole film and the scene where she tries to play fight with Rachel <laughs> oh man that is almost excruciating like, no, you're, yeah it's so excruciating you're supposed to fight back and Rachel's like no like <laughs> Don't touch me. Yeah. So I have no idea, like, what Rachel was supposed to be in that movie, but I love, like, the little bit of tension and awkwardness and contrast with every scene that she's in. But I love the dinner party scene because it's like Rachel's at a place where she can have dinner with these people and it's fine. Yeah, yeah. She's still, like, saying kind of weird stuff. And then it would cut to Francis being, like, the most ridiculous person alive. Like, the first time I watched that movie, when she goes on and on about like her friend circle in college, like, yeah. and then Paul started dating so and so, but I think that he would have dated any of us. Like, we're all really <laughs> smart. Like, referring to her friends in college, like everyone should know who they are. Like, yep. that is so funny to me. Like, I'm like, I don't think that that's me, but that could easily be me if I was a little bit less aware. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh my god, I love that scene. Oh, it's and then so she says, like, good. what do you do? That's such a stupid question. I thought that I would ask it. Right, yeah. (laughs) She's just so not on their level. And then when he says to her, like, do you ever get to Paris? I'm just, I love, like, no, she's never been to fucking Paris. (laughs) She can't even pay her rent. Thank you for asking her that. Oh, my God. Yeah. So funny. Yeah, I love the... The fact that you find out that Sophie's uh, patch, the guy she's that Sophie's dating, actually works at Goldman Sachs. Like such a douchebag. Right. And I also love when France is like, Patchy. I love when she says that <laughs> to his boss. <laughs> and the boss is just like, yep, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. <laughs> Every narrative about Patch 
And then when you meet Patch and he's wearing the distressed baseball hat and he's like, yep. sorry, you had to take a leak. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but one of my favorite lines, too, is when um, they're talking about Patch at the beginning in the apartment. And he's like, oh, Patchy, hey, what's up? And then the girl's like, um, he's a nice guy for today. She says that, like, right after she says, like, uh, the way he can only come on my face, like, right. yeah. <laughs> like he's a really nice guy for today. Like, I love that. <laughs> that the whole that's like just millennial like bullshit. I just and then you meet Patch and he's actually like a really sweet guy. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Right. They don't. Yeah, they don't really uh, play the douche card too hard. It's just like some signifiers. But he's like, you know, he's not a monster ultimately. Because you you only see him through the conversations between Sophie and Francis, like until that like horrible scene at the fundraiser when he's like an angel of a human being. Right. Right. Okay. No, he's actually fine. And Francis is like, I don't hate you, Patch. (laughs) (laughs) But that's also like, because like the relationship between the first time I watched Francis Ha, I thought that Francis was gay and she was in love with Sophie. I'm just going to admit that. And I was yeah. like, this, she's actually in love with Sophie. That's what's going on. And then I watched it again and I was like, oh no, like this is about female friendship. That's the heartbeat of the whole movie is like, yeah. how do you move on from, from like that magical part of your life where like you're young and like you love your friends and whatever, and people move on and they start these different lives. And then the relationship between Francis and Patch is so horrible. And it's, it has nothing to do with Patch. Like, it's just because she's losing Sophie. And I just feel so much for him because yeah. I have friends who are, like, dating somebody seriously who are, who are married or whatever. And it's, yeah. like, the worst thing ever when you go to, like, try and have a conversation with that person. And you're, like, I'm not really that into you. But you're, like, married to my best friend. Like, that's yeah. the worst. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I feel like, it, yeah, it's just one of those movies that, I mean, it just totally gets what being in your mid-20s is like and how you know, college is still this, like, thing that's still, like, just starting to vanish in the horizon. Everybody's changing because of that. Yeah, I do really like that it, it just stays on, like, friendship. Like, it's not a rom-com. It's not focused on Francis's love yeah. life. Yeah, that's another reason I really appreciated this movie. Right, yeah. Is it... lack of romance. She literally is just trying to, like, figure her shit out. And you just have the feeling that she doesn't have the energy or, like, the time because she's trying to dance and like pay rent and so she doesn't really have I don't know it's just not really a central thing which I appreciate a lot well yeah I mean one of the first scenes is like breaking up with Dan right and it's just sort of like she just (laughs) like she just doesn't care if it keeps going or not right (laughs) yeah she just like puts her coat on and she's like you're gonna be a single guy with two cats Cats. and he's like wait why would I be single (laughs) Like she broke up with him without either of them realizing it. Like, yep. <laughs> wait, wait, why would I be single with two cats? And he's like, no, why would I be single? Oh, that was such a boss move. Um, I love how she just like stands up and puts her coat on all the time. She does that like four or five times throughout the movie where she just like stands up and puts her coat on like she's ready to leave. Well, yeah. I love when she does it in his apartment and she's like, he's like, where are you going? Yeah. Like he's obviously not done with the conversation. And she's like, oh, I'm just so tired. Right. I'm just like, yeah. I'm just tired. 
speaking of things she does a lot in the movie is like she's eating on screen a lot mm -hmm. like maybe not like a ton I don't... the eating on screen is amazing because I feel like I relate to those moments so hard when she like can't breathe because she's eating right she's like <laughs> there are so many times when she has to stop eating just to breathe and I'm like she's she can't get her shit together like she can't even eat the correct way and she's 27 and I'm like there's so many times when I see other people that like not necessarily have their shit together but can like do their own makeup and I'm like I can't even do that like I <laughs> like I'm 20 I'm almost 25 years old and I'm like I have I'm gonna eat improperly in public and not know how to like apply foundation correctly and like I think I'm gonna make a difference in the world like what? right <laughs> you know what I mean so those moments when she's eating like a slob I'm like thank you so much like you're 27 and you can't eat so that makes me feel better yeah and it's it's not even sort of a schadenfreude thing it's just like you do you I love when um, Lev has that girl over Nessa and she just keeps saying like aren't you older than Sophie aren't you older than her oh yeah she's like no we're the same age and she's like but I just feel like you're older like in the face, like you look oh, older. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, she's two months. I'm two months older than her. And she's like, yeah, I don't know. And Benji's just like, yeah, but you don't have your shit together. I think I have the word friendship written in all caps three times in my notes for Francis Hodges. So cute. I don't know. Yeah, friendship's something. I don't know. I feel like it doesn't really get a, a fair shake on on screen most of the time. Like. I don't know. It always I also seems... think that friendship is like a weird thing for Americans because we like sexualize everything. Really committed friendship doesn't really have a place in our culture necessarily. Oh, so we don't really not. know how to deal with it. We don't really know how to deal with it. So we just sexualize everything. So Right. Like you said, you even thought that it was going to turn out that Francis was in love with Sophie the first time you yeah, saw her, right? Because I couldn't comprehend that like she was that, like that letting go of that friendship was like that hard, you know, or like it meant so much for her to like move on from that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and like, yeah, American society is like, you got to prioritize your, your career and like starting a family or something. And it's just like, basically after college, you get this like brief shining moment where you can live in, in sort of a community um, yeah. in a more, I hate to use the word authentic, but authentic sense of the term. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of your life is just this constant, uh, you know, walling yourself off from everybody else. Just you And know. that's why it's so hard when, like, you are living in community and, like, you have people around you all the time that you really love and you know them so well. And then something happens like they get married or yeah. they get a really good job and, like, work nine to five or, like, something like that. And the tension of, like... I don't want to let that go. And then figuring that out with people is just really painful sometimes. My memories of like maybe the last year of college aren't really rosy because it I just view it as the point where I was just cutting all of this stuff out of my life. You know, mm -hmm. you had this thing set up for, well, in my case, it was five years. All of a sudden, one summer, everybody just shoots off in different directions. And you're like, well, what the fuck do I do now? That was me, except every like everybody that I hung out with was 
still together for the whole summer after graduation. So then it was like the fall when like people were dropping like flies and leaving. And that's when I left the country. So it was fine because I was also like not going to be there. But coming back was super rough because the whole world was different when I got back because people move on and start lives. Coincidentally, I don't really know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's to that. Maybe not necessarily trans- transitioning, but bringing Black Swan into it. It's a sort of the, the follow-throughs are like definitely female relationships and dance. Or uh, Nina's complete lack of any relationships because right. she's so suffocated. Like, yeah, she's so dedicated to this very, you know, this very thing where, you know, Francis Law ha has this holistic picture of what life looks at looks like for one person at a certain time. I mean, this is... Uh, you know, Black Swan is all about um, that exceptional person and how, like, sort of what leads to Nina's ultimate psychosis is the fact that she is cut off from everybody else and all there yeah. is is the performance. And I feel like you don't even feel the tension of that until she meets Lily and, like, right. starts having conversations with Lily, where Lily's, like, an actual human being who, like, lives her life. Yeah, yeah. And then the interactions between the two of them are so amazing because it's just like striking. Nina can't relate to anything that Lily is saying. Right, right. I mean, well, almost with anybody, if if they're talking about anything that isn't dance, like Nina just smiles and sort of yeah. tries to change the subject. Like, I mean, and you get that. Uh, I think most, you know, it starts off pretty heavy where with uh, with Tuma, who's like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Have you had any boyfriends? Uh, have you had sex before? Do you enjoy sex? I want you to go home and masturbate. And it's just mm-hmm. like, she says nothing. She to reacts it. to none of it. She yeah. just like can't bring herself to do yeah. that. Right, right. Because it's not... <laughs> it's well, not her bedroom is ridiculous. Her bedroom is one of my favorite, like... Oh, yeah. the detail. It just says so much. Her bedroom is ridiculous. It. I mean, it looks like it came out of an Ikea catalog, right? Almost. Not even like a yeah. like a six year old girl's take on Ikea. Pink floral wallpaper, pink floral everything, and just like stuffed bunnies everywhere. And then, it's so extreme that it works. Well, Natalie Portman's physicality. I mean, she is like what? She's shit. She's in her thirties now, or something. And then like playing that, she look like. I mean, there are shots where she looks twelve years old in that movie. Yeah. It's... And it's a lot about her face, too, because as soon as she goes through some character development and the whole transition to the black swan, like she looks completely different. And that's when I started to appreciate the acting in the first half of the film, because you don't realize how extreme it was until she makes the transition. And you're like, oh, my God, you know, yeah, you get those little flashes of like when she passes herself in that uh, that like subway tunnel or that that walkway. I mean, you get that quick glimpse or when she sees herself like as Lily. Yeah, she shifts her tone of voice a couple times. And it's just it's so drastic and jarring. Even when she comes to his office and has her hair down and the lipstick on, she still looks like a scared deer in the woods. But I'm just like, whoa, like even that tiny 
transition. I don't know. I think Natalie Portman is totally brilliant in this movie because the range of what she had to do was just crazy. And it's set up so precisely. The part when she's fighting with herself in the dressing room, like when Lily like becomes her and she ends up stabbing her, like the voice when she's like, it's my turn. And her voice gets so deep. I mean, there's one part that's like, messed with because it's supposed to sound like demonic but even before that it's right she's got this like yeah light airy sort of girlish voice she doesn't say much and then then after the dance just how she sort of moves through a room right or even like when she show when she like leaves her mom in the apartment and she comes to the um auditorium or and the guy's like no like i already told lily and she's like well did you tell everyone else and she's like like basically like fuck you i'm doing it and he's like so impressed and i want to be like dude you created a monster here we go but her her tone of voice and the way that she carries herself in that scene is so drastically different you want to be happy for her that she's made the transition and you're also just horrified i mean it's a huge commentary on like uh what what makes or goes into great art or Mm -hmm. truly exceptional art and i think there is an idea that it necessarily has to be self-destructive yeah, definitely. Um, like, you can't be a good artist unless you're a supremely fucked up human being in your <laughs> actual life. And, I mean, that's something that gets really fetishized in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, you know, I as a teen, I, I was really into Hunter S. Thompson. And <laughs> it's like, oh, if I want to be a great writer, I just have to be fucked up 24-7. I mean, I never got to that point because I realized I, it was stupid. But... I have a friend who's a painter, and she's, like, so brilliant. Like, she's incredible. And she works insane hours to be able to support herself because she has crazy student loans because she has a master's degree in fucking painting so she works full-time restoring like antique guns and then she works as a server and she also is a professor and so she's exhausted all the time obviously she just got back from a fellowship in maine um and she basically had like two weeks or whatever of just posing for photographs because she paints herself a lot of times and so she was like posing for photographs um and just like being in nature and rebooting and and she came back and i was like oh you look really good like she's like the sun actually touched my face i feel so much better like feel like rejuvenated and i was like but not too good right because you're an artist and that would be bad and she goes (laughs) she goes oh sweetie she's like the well of my self-loathing is unending you don't have to worry about me (laughs) The the pro the, the like problem that I have with Black Swan is I'm like cheering for her so hard to like get it, but you know in the end that it's gonna like be her demise. And I love the Beth character because she gets to watch that happen. Like while she's like becoming whatever, like becoming what the the director wants her to be, she's also watching the repercussions of that happen, like in real time. And she's watching Beth just like basically wither away and like become suicidal i loved that character because she knows exactly what's coming and she's gonna do it anyway because she cares that much i don't yeah it's interesting with the the director character because i mean it, it's pretty obvious from like just the outset that uh toma is like just a hardcore abuser mm-hmm. like psychologically like with the whole like tapping the women on the shoulder and then only after you know Every single one of them just lights up. Oh, we're, only five of us got tapped. We're, yeah. you know, and then immediately just going like, all right, the ones I tapped, you're going to your regular rehearsal. The rest of you, special shit. And right, the seduction thing 
where like you're i just seduced you you need to seduce me and just you know uh okay i know how fucked up that scene is but i also love that scene yeah i was almost thinking of like uh I don't know, because a lot of the movie's about sexual frustration, right? And sort of using that. Oh, yeah, totally. To, you know, you're sort of the sum of your energies and what's... Uh, and that's her frustration with Lily, like, 99% of the time. Lily gets to come all over the place, right? She's yeah. liberated. Like, <laughs> um, she's, yeah, she's the antithesis. Right. She's, like, totally... Right, and it's interesting that, uh, like, Lily is basically Francis Ha in, <laughs> in the world, like, you know, because they go out for dinner and she gets the cheeseburger. It's yeah, like, okay, Lily eats a cheeseburger. A ballerina would never fucking eat that. You know, she smokes, she drinks, she fucks, like, yeah. it's just all out there, uh, you know, but she's, like, still a dancer. It is still, like, the understudy because of, you know, her unstudied imprecision, but, but passion, but then you've got the... Mm the dainty ballerina that you know isn't supposed to do any of those things i really have a problem with like watery eyes most of the time like i hate when a character or like an actor like has to express vulnerability through like constantly having tears in their eyes like it bugs the shit out of me and natalie portman does (laughs) she does that especially in this movie she just always has these like rolling tears in her eyeballs. And for the first half of the movie, I was like, oh my God, like I, <laughs> I didn't realize that she was like this all through this movie. But then the payoff is so good that I was like, okay, I can deal with it. Well, yeah, going back to the sexual frustration bit, um, I think I might have to do this movie again with Jarhead, which I feel like is sort of the male. It, well, as if most is movies are. Is that like Jake aren't... Gyllenhaal? Am I yeah. thinking of this movie? Yep, that's the right movie. Jake Gyllenhaal, Peter Sarsgaard, Jamie Foxx, okay. Desert Storm. Yeah. But, like, like this is sort of about uh, explicitly feminine f- sexual frustration, and then, like, Jarhead is a movie that I think is, I don't know, captures male sexual frustration in a real way. Because, like, I don't know. I mean, the symbolism is there. Like, they're trained as snipers, and then at the end, they don't get to shoot anybody. I, I, do I have to interpret any further? <laughs> they, they don't get to shoot anybody. Uh, oh, man. But I mean, like, yeah, here orgasm is death. So um, pretty explicitly everywhere. I also love that it's like Lily who finally makes it happen for her. And then number one, it's not real. Right. And number two, she's she decides immediately after that Lily's her arch enemy. Like, there's just so much <laughs> darkness involved in that orgasm like it's yeah. just like there's no positive payoff afterwards except for the fact that yeah. she like right she gives like one perfect performance one perfect moment and then she's just spent there's a line okay so the first time when after the ball when Tomas is like come over to my house we'll have a drink and he's like lecturing her about beth and he's like the reason she's successful is because she has a dark impulse inside of her. And he was like, it's perfect and it's thrilling to watch. I never, I didn't pick up on that line the first time that I watched it, but like that like becomes her obsession is the dark impulse and like to be perfect and to be thrilling and all that stuff. And then the final line is like, it was perfect. It was perfect. That's set up early again with like the, the tapping scene or even the first audition for the thing. Like, well, after she gets the role um, and then, then Toma points out Lily and says, look at her, it's unstudied, it's imperfect, but it's passionate and it's still graceful in its own way or something, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you need to be that. And like, it's just inst- interesting how um, 
Nina's uh, definition of perfect changes. Like at first it is sort of clockwork precision. Um, no passion, just cold studied movement. Right. And she has to sort of discover passion and like, it doesn't really seem like, you know, she's not pulling from any sort of like joyous um, sources. It's not about a sort of, it's like forceful, right? It's not a sort of joie de vivre, which uh, like with Lily, there is sort of an edge of darkness, but it's more it's it's not it's not really that it's sort of a giddy recklessness, but it's not sort of inherently destructive. Right. But Nina has none of that in her own life. All she has is sort of pain and claustrophobia and a very deep suspicion of her own body. Um you know, with the constant like bleeding from the cuticles and the the scratching and stuff, and her relationship with her mom is, I think, like the scariest part of the whole movie. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> when I watched it this time, I was when her mom was like taking off her earrings for her and like taking off her shirt for her and like putting in her in bed and like just suffocating her in every way possible. And I love the realization of Nina that it's not okay. I like the very first time when she's like, I can do it. Like to her mom, her mom's trying to take something off for her. And she's like, I can do it. And you're like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you, I was so uncomfortable with that whole relationship. And I'm like, yeah, tell her who's boss, dude. You know, she's supposed to be like in her early twenties or something. I mean, I guess they never explicitly age her and it is supposed to be sort of ambiguous. You know, you get that one, you get that one moment with Vincent where, you know, he asks about boyfriends and like, you know, she says she's not a virgin and that's like the most incomprehensible part of the movie. Mm -hmm. Almost like, no, this, no, she hasn't. No, well, I just, I just think she's lying. I 100%. Oh think that yeah. She's you've lying. got a point there. Yeah. Oh, she's definitely not right. going to tell him if she's virgin. Right. I thought, okay, I want to know what you think about um, her stealing shit from Beth. Because that's confusing to me. Because that was, like, a very early reveal of, like, darkness when she was, like, stealing shit from Beth's dressing room. Because she started doing it as soon as she got that room. Before Beth had the accident or anything, she was taking lipstick. She took earrings. Because remember, her mom takes the earrings off and is like, what are these? And she's like, oh, they're not real. Like, don't worry about it. She took those from Beth. And I didn't catch any of that the first couple times I watched it. And this past time, I was like, she was stealing from her, like, super early. Yeah, I mean, I think right, I actually missed that. The This is the second time I've seen it, and I totally missed that. Um, it's just like, I don't understand where that comes from, because it's way before any other revelation is, like, when she starts stealing from Beth. Okay, I mean, if I have to do some, like, armchair psychoanalysis, I mean, like, Beth is pretty explicitly set up as Nina's fate. Mm -hmm. And the movie doesn't really deviate from that. Yeah, I think it's just over-identification, wanting something of hers. I, I really don't think it's... I don't really think there's any ill intent from the stealing. It is just, um, like, a curiosity and maybe a tribute in a really fucked up way, but... I just, like, I feel like that's such an early, like, there's something not right about this girl. Right, I think it's I think it's definitely a symptom. You're, you're sort of introduced to her first, and she seems, like, relatively happy, but then you sort of slowly see how cloistered her existence is you know maybe that's like the one little outlet she has <laughs> also like watching it again the first time i watched this movie i have a really hard time with movies that don't spell out like what's real and what's not i'm usually very annoyed by them so the fact okay. that i like this movie 
is like okay i watched under the skin and i hated that movie no offense to whatever yeah that's totally fine like that (laughs) movie i was literally like laying on my couch groaning because i was like i don't get it i don't understand if i would have if I would have read something before I watched it, I would have been fine. But that movie, no. Like, Whatever. Oh, man. Yeah, I was pretty... I wasn't sold until the end of that movie. Like, the whole time I'm like, what's going on? What's the point? And then, I mean, talking about it, it became a little quick. But yeah, I took it. Yeah. But it yeah, it's like... When I listened to the podcast, I was like, okay, that's like interesting, but I'm still never going to watch it again. So right. <laughs> for me, it's like, if I if things aren't spelled out for me, I have a hard time. And so I, with Black Swan, the first time I watched it, I was super blown away, but I was also like, what? Like, I don't get it. And then this time around, I was like, okay, I'm just going to let it be what it is and, like, not try and distinguish. Because it's so much about, like, Nina's confusion, too, and, like, Nina not knowing what's real and what's not. So it's like, why would the audience get the courtesy of knowing it if Nina doesn't get to know, right? So I think that it's a lot, it's a better experience if you just don't try and decide. Yeah. Yeah. What's Um, happening. Well, I mean, it, it also seeds a lot of it. There's like clues. I mean, and not in the sense that the movie's trying to trick you at all, but I mean, it, it does set up all this stuff like, uh, whenever, you know, it, it shows Lily on screen with mirrors a lot, Mm -hmm. like explicitly. So you've got, you've got that and then like the the sort of swan visions and whatnot and like all the like body horror shit with uh with nina's like feet and hands and the the scratching on her back and whatnot um you know so it's like okay she obviously sees something that isn't real but there's these inconsequential ones then there's these like bigger ones and so it, it all rolls into this and then there's the big reveal at the end you know and all is what well, well not all is well everything is very bad at the end <laughs> right but it's also just... i love the part when she's at the bar with those guys and they're like oh what is swan lake with right those super oh, average joes so i love when he says like what is swan lake and she's like oh this girl gets turned into a swan and she needs true love's first kiss and she falls in love with this prince but then he's seduced by her sister or her twin or whatever and so she kills herself yeah and he goes well that's really sad yeah (laughs) (laughs) and she goes oh i think it's beautiful and i mean the the movie itself i mean totally uh you know it mirrors that plot except there's no there's no embodiment of the prince the prince is the performance itself yeah and like a lot of like the reviews and stuff that i read were very much like aronofsky did a lot of mirroring of Swan Lake at the same time, like really doing his own thing and like making it dark and twisty and like doing all the things that he likes to do with making things hard for people to watch in general. And like, I think this might be the hardest movie of his to watch for me. It is. It's, I was definitely covering my eyes. Right. And again, it's all that, that it's the body horror stuff. Like it's like the, the sound effects like when she stretches her feet in the morning and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, like, like and like all the like, the yeah, the cracking and the, the bleeding. The part it's... when she's like pulling the skin oh, back God. off her finger. I'm like, Ooh! Ooh, like I was yep. literally like making horrible noises because I like couldn't deal with watching that. Oh, my God, I mean, it's horrible. It's... Anything with fingernails like freaks me the fuck out. Yeah. And this has a lot of fingernail. action. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's it's harder to watch than most of like Cronenberg's stuff, and that's like you know he's the body horror king or whatever. And... It's not even like outward like gore. It's just like the self mutilation aspect of it too. The fact yeah. that she's just like ripping at her own flesh. And then I started watching The Wrestler, which I didn't finish, but it's the same stuff. It's like oh yeah, gross yeah. like little things. Like when he takes the razor out of his thing, like cuts his forehead open. I was like, why right. are you doing yeah, that? Well, I suppose it's a good enough time to like sort of wind things down. The last question, double feature life lessons. What's sort of your biggest takeaway from watching these two movies? I think pursuit of what you're passionate about is admirable. Also, that blind optimism definitely has a place. That's what I feel like I take away from Francis Ha every single time. Because I'm an optimist by nature, 100%. And Frances Ha makes me feel okay about that because I feel like she is too. And I'm like, okay, no, it's good. It's a good thing that I blindly feel like I can follow all my dreams and everything's going to work out yeah. for me. So. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Frances is kind of naive, but she's never really punished for that naivete. Absolutely. And it's not like painful for the most part, like maybe except for the dinner scene. But like, the, Well, Paris is painful, which we didn't even talk about. But Paris is super painful. We can talk about Paris first. <laughs> <laughs> god i love that whole section my favorite is when she wakes up in paris and there's like 10 year olds screaming outside her window like that's the paris she wakes up to is like middle school children screaming yeah that's actually like i, I think I, I wrote in my notes was just fuck paris like not even because of the movie because i i mean i went to paris i was there for 12 hours um on a layover i mean i guess it was cool but people just really big up paris and i'm like there's no way the city's that cool. And uh, it's not. It's not that cool. I mean, if you have 12 hours in a city and it doesn't make a positive impression, then you have to move on. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Madrid. I was in Madrid for 12 hours once and it was magical. I just like drank coffee and like listened to an old man play guitar. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I just went back to the airport. Sick. So I feel like if you have 12 hours and you don't get something... No, I think my takeaway is definitely, like, for Francis Ha, it's just blind optimism is the way to go. It'll work out. Yeah. And then uh, and then also that everybody has a hard time. You don't have to think that you're the only person that's having a hard time because it just depends on the day, the week, the month. Like, somebody is struggling with stupid life stuff, stupid, like, first world life stuff. Yeah. And you're not the only person that's dealing with that. And then Black Swan is the just duality is important. I think just recognizing that you have everybody has that like the darker side. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to embrace it. I think in her case it was because it ended her. But in you see other characters in that movie where like it was a really good thing that they had that. Like Beth and Lily and yeah, necessarily like an end all be all. There's there's good ways to deal with your shit and uh mm -hmm. <laughs> Like, just either, you know, yeah, totally repressing it or, or bringing it all to the surface too quickly is not a good idea. What are your takeaways, Josh? That's a that's a good question. So, right, I think similarly, like, Francis Ha just made me generally okay with where I'm at. Like, it's never the end of the world. Being in your, being in your 20s and not having, like, a career or, like, a major relationship is... People don't seem to talk about that, like, a ton. 
at least you know it, it's always somebody older talking about how much fun that time was without like and sort of romanticizing like being broke or whatever but like francis is like okay this kind of sucks but there's some there's some good times you can have and you know what it you just got to move through it like stuff's gonna happen if you if you make it happen and i think a big thing was um you know compromise doesn't necessarily mean defeat right uh, right so you know towards the end of the movie where you know the the leader of the dance company's like hey i can't have you in the troupe but you know we've got this this office position open and you'll have access to the studios and i think you've got some potential but i just can't have you in the troupe right now you know and at first she sort of dodges that right she's like no i've got yeah, this other job pissed. yeah she's so mad because like oh you're mm. shitting on my dreams right here but it's like no that that really is the opportunity to move forward right like i mean yeah you're making some money doing some clerical work and you've got studio access and you can you can you can get some shit done man and mm -hmm. like it, it really takes a while to realize that because like you go into college and you're like oh this is the trajectory for the rest of my life i know what i'm gonna do <laughs> and then you graduate and i mean i i put it off for you know a year to go to grad school and then oh found out grad school wasn't really my bag at least at the moment and then you just sort of have to make peace with the fact that like yeah your life's really not going to turn out exactly as how you imagine it you just have to like mm -hmm. you know work with the pieces you're given and so i mean that's yeah francis Hub basically just made me feel super cool with where i'm at I was I was on this kick for a while, like in the wintertime, where I was obsessed with the fact that like nobody tells kids how fun it is to be an adult. And I would literally yeah. talk about it all the time. Yeah. Or I'd be like we'd be we like scare kids into thinking that like childhood is all there is or whatever. Like right. childhood is amazing and like once you're an adult you have all these responsibilities and it's like, no dog, like I can eat tacos every single day. Like I can like stay up however late I want. I can go to the bar whenever I want. Like being 24 is awesome. <laughs> like, why don't we tell children that being an adult is the best thing in the world? <laughs> and I feel like, I think that Frances has a good time, even when she's just like eating a bacon egg bagel. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm... at her dining room table, like. Yeah, that's definitely. definitely... Yeah, she doesn't have, like, the means. She doesn't have, like, crazy ambition, but she's got a real sort of joie de vivre and gets to... <laughs> and she's like, I have to at least work out. I don't want to get fat. And then she's just, like, eating Thai food and watching a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With Benji. Oh, Benji. God, I love Benji. Uh, Benji, is, Benji is millennial prick to the extreme. Yep. <laughs> and I love him for it. He, no job, like, talks about how he's going to write for SNL, like, takes a loan from his stepdad's, like, buying vintage Ray-Bans, like, such a prick, dude. Right, or, like, uh, when he goes in a room after she has the fight with Sophie, and he's like, um, yeah, me and Lev were thinking about getting a maid, you know, it's not that expensive, $400 a month. <laughs> Do you know that I'm poor? You're right. not poor. You would feel poor if you had as little money as I did. You're not poor. That's offensive to actual poor people. That's yeah. one of my favorite lines. Right. <laughs> of course, like he's the bougie asshole and he just has to like retort with the. Oh, my God. Uh, I love him. Yeah. If I knew Benji in real life, I would 100 percent be friends with him and never have a problem with it. You might have a stronger character than I would because I'm the uh, this is the tanky podcast, the tanky movie podcast where. We think Stalin is good and the rich people need to get killed. Um, <laughs> no, that's not true at all. Uh, I think I've voiced my opinion that rich people should be killed a lot. 
Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that before. There's a recurring theme. It's uh, rich folks right in the gulag with you. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty, that's the healthiest mindset to have. Um, but mm-hmm. I stand by it. It's all I have. Uh, Black Swan just sort of confirms my suspicion that, like, hardcore ambition is pretty overrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> hard work is good, but obsession is bad. You yes. Know, one must achieve balance. Uh and have have friends and eat a cheeseburger and have an orgasm every once in a while. So Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's really reducing Black Swan down to a really weird platitude. Everyone but... watch it. It's about cheeseburgers. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh I think those are basically my my takeaway. So as we sort of close out here, um, do you have any recommendations, like any other pieces of art that you are consuming at the moment that you wanna let people know about? I I'm working through, like, Vietnam war novels right now in preparation for my move, so that's not really, like, that's more of a, like, me putting myself through the ringer type thing. But uh, I am also watching The L Word, (laughs) which has been an investment of the last couple months. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's a show from the mid-2000s about a group of lesbians who live in L.A. Okay, yeah, I've I've definitely heard of it before, but I I have not watched it. It is painful and amazing which is my favorite kind of entertainment uh but yeah that's like my roommate got me really into it because uh, her and her friends were into it she's like just watch like three episodes and i was hooked and now i'm on like the third season but the episodes are like an hour long or like more than an hour so it's it's definitely an investment but it's a fun like cultural thing to watch especially with the climate now yeah like just in general. I don't know. It's good because it's like painting a picture of like the gay community in LA in the mid 2000s. And I've talked to a lot of people who have watched it, like um, friends of mine who are gay, who are like, yeah, the L word like make me made me feel like it was okay. You know, like made me feel like that lifestyle was possible. And so it's a fun kind of like 10 years ago thing to watch and the fashion is just awful it's just <laughs> so bad and that's like half the fun of it is their outfits are so ridiculous i mean it's so weird how we're finally getting to the point where like early 2000s fashion is like the most cringeworthy stuff i know like, it's because of the low-rise pants that's what really uh, does it yep. for me okay it's the low-ride bell-bottom jeans i can't get over it it's magic honestly it's like a I don't know. I remember a lot of like Velcro and silver shit and like butterfly clips. <laughs> yeah. And that's sort of what the kitsch look is now. And a lot of like, yeah. um, like really like flippy hair in the mid 2000s. Like a lot of women had like semi short, like flippy, spiky hair. I'm also watching a show about lesbians. So no, it's a really, it's a fun show. And it like, it has a lot of important questions in it. And they, put these girls up against real life shit in every single episode like wow i would have no idea how to deal with that if that was me so it's a fun it just kind of makes you think about stuff that you wouldn't have to deal with if you were in the uh heterosexual community so yeah so i guess i guess my turn um and i've been watching curb your enthusiasm a lot recently so that's uh that's pretty funny i don't know anything about that yeah it's uh yeah, Larry David, the guy who wrote oh, okay. Seinfeld, um, his sort of follow-up was another sitcom, but it was an HBO show, and it's all filmed on, like, really shitty-looking video, but there's, like, 
actual celebrities in it a lot. <laughs> Did you know that Jennifer Lawrence has a crush on Larry David? It's like the cutest thing ever. <laughs> he like rejected her hard and it's super funny. Oh. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. <laughs> it's really cute. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just a yeah, an intensely neurotic yet uh successful man just trying to navigate through the world and just the worst possible shit happening. And then uh I don't know, kind of uh not sort of intentionally as well, I guess it's kind of moving prep. I started reading um The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. Mm. Uh, about the meat industry in Chicago in the early 1900s. I want to know how that goes for you. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. So it's going to be like some good Chicago history. And I don't know, I was just feeling like, um, I don't know, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about like, well, you know, politics and like labor movements and shit. And I'm like kind of processing identity politics right now like i used to think identity politics are like 100 percent the way to go but now i'm kind of like uh not 100 percent. you need some other stuff mixed in there and so i'm trying to like get back into marx and you know so i picked up a novel about uh labor conditions and <laughs> the meat industry and yeah it'll nice. be interesting because it's so it what what's super funny right now is like everybody looks at that novel as what started food regulation. Mm -hmm. Like, as, you know, people read it and they're like, oh, that's how meat is made. That's disgusting. We need to do something about this. But the intent was labor conditions. Like, oh, okay. The whole thing is like, you know, people are like, oh, what goes in my food is disgusting. But nobody paid attention to like, <laughs> the reason that is, is because they're horribly mistreating the workers. Right. And, like nobody gave a shit about the workers. Because I've definitely like read about that book because I'm yeah. vegetarian. I've, been vegetarian on and off for a few years and i was vegan for a while and so you read about things and i've read about that book but i've never read it yeah we'll see but the yeah the book's pretty interesting so far so nice. yeah so that's recommendations um so yeah closing it off uh you got anything you want to plug or any internet presences that i know you're no. not very uh yeah not very you're not extremely online like like, I mean, um, I am, but I'm, like, not a brand. Yeah, Everything a... is just my name, and I'm mostly, like, tweeting about the weather conditions, so... Or, like, drinking. So, yeah. <laughs> if people want to follow me, that's cool. Caitlin Spencer. My name is spelled super wacky, so it's easy to find. Yeah, I mean, if... Yeah, and if you're following us, like, it shouldn't be too easy to stalk Caitlin a little bit, so... Right. Uh, <laughs> right, so yeah, that about that about does it. Um, you can you can find the double feature on Facebook. Uh, we got the Facebook page, just dub feature pod. Search the double feature. Um, you know, like that because that's that's good for the brand. Uh, we're available on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, I guess I haven't really pushed this, but it would be cool if any of you got it on iTunes. Rate and review that just helps because somebody might help somebody like stumble on it at some point or whatever and i think that would be cool we're on twitter at dub pod d-u-b-b-f-e-a-t-c-h pod on twitter and we've got the the super secret uh back row makeout club group on facebook which which is where you'll find my top five rom-coms yeah, coming soon. Coming soon. Uh, some some bonus content that's not just me uh, giving behind the scenes peeks. Um, <laughs> pictures of your dad. Yeah, pictures of my dad. If you want to <laughs> see some pretty cool pictures of my dad, uh, those are on there. <laughs> um, 
so yeah that's all that's all that so uh that about wraps it up for this week and uh hope to see you again uh next week later bye could sort of make me well up a little bit Aww. <laughs> um like i don't know it, like even fucking dawn of the planet of the apes the 